You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Good morning, New Life family. It is so good to be here in the house of the Lord together this morning. Uh, If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Brad and I serve as the lead pastor. Hi, how are you, Craig? (laughs) And uh, it's been a minute since I've been up here preaching, and so it feels really good uh, to be back with you guys. And uh, contrary to popular belief, we do, as pastors, work more than just Sundays, okay? We work Saturday nights, too, to get our messages ready, so... (laughs) Uh, I want to take you back this morning to February 2013. Uh, My wife and I were newlyweds-ish at the time, and we had just bought our first house. And there is no excitement uh, like newlyweds buying their first house and getting ready to move in together. As you can see, I can grow grass about as well as I can grow a beard, right? Quite, Quite patchy there. And uh, we were so excited to move into this house. But little did we know when we bought this house that this was actually a haunted house. We didn't know that when we bought it. And so we, we get ready to move in and, you know, it had good bones. It was a foreclosure. We got a good deal on it, but it needed a lot of paint. Every square inch of it needed paint. And so we painted it and, and we moved in. And about a month in, I began to suspect that this house was haunted. See, this was a, a three-bedroom house, which meant my wife and I, we didn't have any kids at the time, slept warm and cozy in our king-size bed in our master bedroom. But right next to us were two empty bedrooms. And those two empty bedrooms began to haunt us, began to haunt me. Because every single night I would go to bed and lay awake at night and think about the fact that here we were in our warm master bedroom and there were two bedrooms that were empty right next to us. And we didn't want to have kids of our own at that point yet. But as I began to lay there awake at night and just have these bedrooms keep me awake, I really believe that the Holy Spirit began convicting me, began haunting me, saying, there are homeless people that could use a warm place to live. There are kids in the youth group that you serve in that could use a safe refuge There are 13,000 kids in the Michigan foster care system that could use a bedroom, a family, a place to call home. And, And I really believe the Holy Spirit began to actually convict me and haunt me over the fact that we had two empty bedrooms sitting in our home right next to us. Now, here's the deal. I'm not here to shame anybody who has empty bedrooms in their home, nor am I here to act like we get this right. But here's what I want you to understand God desired to fill those empty bedrooms with good things. In fact, 11 months into living at this home, we had filled those bedrooms with three foster kids, some of whom would live with us in this home for years and years. And the reason that I share that story with you is because for me, those were not just empty bedrooms. Those represented for me a deeper area in my life of a real emptiness, 
a void of purpose and calling. And I really believe that God's convicting work in my heart over those two empty bedrooms that sat in our home was the catalyst for us entering into the calling that he has placed on our life. I believe that filling those two empty bedrooms and the way that he did that changed the trajectory of my marriage, changed the trajectory of the calling on my life and going into ministry and all of those things solely because God desired to fill those empty bedrooms with good things. And there's something about this haunted house that taught me something about the character of the kingdom of God. In fact, that's what we're looking at in this series. We're looking at what is this kingdom, this thing that Jesus came to inaugurate? What's the character of it? What does living in part of this kingdom actually look like? And there's something this haunted house taught me about what the kingdom of God looks like that I carry wherever I go to this day. And it's this truth here, that God's heart, his desire, the heartbeat is to fill the emptiness in our lives with good things. That God's heart is to fill the empty areas of our lives with good things. In fact, the very character and nature of the kingdom of God is to fill the spiritually empty areas of our lives with good things. To fill the physically empty areas of our lives with good things. To fill the emotionally empty and the relational empty areas of our lives with good things. So for you here this morning, where is there emptiness in your life right now? Where is the empty bedroom in your life right now? Is it it an area of spiritual emptiness? Is there an area of your life where God feels distant and silent and indifferent and far away? I'll be honest, I have those areas in my life. In fact, as preachers, like we go through stuff that sometimes we can't even talk about from a stage because they're not our stories to share entirely. Uh, Chances are you probably have an area of spiritual emptiness in your life too. Or maybe for you it's an area of emotional emptiness. That you've given all you have to give and there is nothing left. Is there an area of physical emptiness in your life? Maybe for you it's a a literal empty bedroom that represents a years-long journey with infertility and longing. Maybe for you, it's an empty block in your schedule that God desires to fill with good things. Or maybe for you, it's an area of relational emptiness. Maybe you're in a very broken marriage right now, and you don't know where to go, and you don't know who to turn to, and you don't have people around you that will support you and challenge you and encourage you. Where is the empty bedroom in your life right now? Today, I want to look at what I think is my favorite parable that Jesus ever told. I love this parable so much that four years ago here at New Life, we did a a full series on this parable alone. And uh, this is the parable of the great banquet found in Luke 14. And one of the most common metaphors for the kingdom of God in the Bible is a feast where God fills empty people with good things. And so I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament. It's one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And as you're turning there, I want to set the stage for you before we jump into the text. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, Jesus is at this bustling dinner party with a religious leader who the text tells us is kind of a big deal. Right, So Jesus is with the elite in his society. He's having a very Instagram-worthy dinner. I mean, this was an invite-only elite dinner 
that would have had, you know, Spotify lo-fi beats playing in the background. It's hip. It's invite-only. It's foodie-approved. As the kids are saying these days, this is a real vibe of a dinner, okay? I'm clearly getting older. And uh, here comes Jesus, and he sits down at this dinner, and like any good dinner guest would do, what does he do? He begins criticizing the whole thing. Luke chapter 14, verse 12, says this. He said, Jesus said also to the man who had invited him to the dinner, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, why would Jesus start criticizing this dinner party that he's at? Why would he start speaking to the host in this way? Is he just an impolite dinner guest? No, he's getting at something deeper. He's getting at the truth of the character of the kingdom of God. You see, he's speaking to a group of people who have come, become really accustomed and really good at filling their own lives with good things. These are not people who are empty. These are people who are filled socially, relationally, financially, morally. They have money. They have influence. They have status. They have morality. There's no need or emptiness apparent in their lives. And so when Jesus comes to this place and sits at this table, all he can see is a whole bunch of self-made people who are self-sufficient, privileged, and self-made. And he says this to a group of people that when you throw a dinner party, when you throw a banquet, Invite those who cannot repay you, who wouldn't normally have a seat at that table. You see, right before this dinner party, Jesus, in front of the same group of people on this same day, heals a man with a disease on the Sabbath, which of course sparks a moral debate among these people. And you know what Jesus' point is to these people? He basically says to them, this man with a disease has been left so empty by the condition of this world that I have come to fill those who are empty with good things. That my heartbeat is to see people in their emptiness and to fill them, to heal them, to restore them, to feed them, to redeem them. See, here's the problem, church, and I think this is one of the biggest tensions of following Jesus in a country like where we live. That if there's no felt emptiness in your life, there's no desperation for a God who can fill it. If there's no felt emptiness in your life, there's no desperation for a God who can fill it. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting at as he begins sharing this parable with these people about what his kingdom culture is like. Reading on in verse 16 here, but Jesus said to the same guy, he's continuing what he says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. 
The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. (laughs) My wife won't let me come. Right? So you have all of these people who are invited to this amazing party. Jesus has a sense of humor. And there's no felt need. There's no hunger in their lives. There's no emptiness. They all make excuses, whether it's investments, whether it's relationships, whether it's plans. And every single one of these excuses that Jesus uses as an example here of reasons not to come to this banquet and be filled share one thing in common. They are all ridiculously lame excuses. And Jesus wants us to see that. Because in this culture, you would never, ever make the investment in a field like this without first going to see the field in person. So when you have a guy making an excuse that says, I already bought a field and I got to go check it out, that wasn't really a normal way that you did things. This is a lame excuse. It's like saying, I can't come to your wedding on Saturday because that's the night I washed my hair. Right? It's a dumb excuse not to come to this banquet. And yet God's heart is to fill the emptiness in our lives with good things. But if there's no felt emptiness in your life, if your life is built around trying to fill the emptiness and the voids on your own by your own power and your own strength, you have no desperation for a God who actually has the ability to fill your emptiness in a way that only he can. You know, this fall we're launching a small group for people who are in recovery. And we have a lot of people in our church family who have gone through recovery from addiction. We have a lot of people who are still walking that road. And everyone's recovery story is unique. But as I've sat with people in our church and listened to stories of past recovery, ongoing recovery, uh, the fight for sobriety, there is one thing that seems to be in common for everybody who's actually experienced healing in this area. That there's a moment where rock bottom is hit and the pain of staying where you are is greater than the pain of changing. In fact, if you look at any 12-step program that walks with people who have suffered addiction, they all start the same exact way with an acknowledgement that I am powerless over addiction, over brokenness, over sinful patterns in my life and that on my own, my life has become unmanageable. In other words, the first step to healing is acknowledging that I am empty. That on my own, I cannot fill myself with good things. But there is one who can. If you want a surefire way to never experience fullness, to never experience a healing from the emptiness in your life, then just never confront it. Just pretend like it's not there. Just continue trying to fill it on your own strength and your own power. Just like these people in this parable, continue making excuses. But if you want to experience the fullness that God has for you, the filling that only his spirit can do in your life, you have to start by acknowledging that on my own, I am powerless. I am empty. I am left wanting. Some of us have built a life with no margin, 
And our schedule is so full and we run from thing to thing to thing to thing in a desperate attempt to avoid the emptiness that lies underneath. Because if we stopped for long enough to name it and to see it, that terrifies us. And so just like the people in this parable, we try to fill the emptiness on our own in so many different ways. Or maybe for you, you live financially in a way that's way beyond your means. You have to always buy the next thing and have your eye on the next material item because if you slowed down long enough to get honest with yourself, you'd realize that there is a deeper emptiness in your life that you're trying to fill on your own. And just like the people in this parable, you've been invited to this banquet, but it's not a priority in your life because you've learned how to build a life where you fill yourself on your own. Um, it's like saying, sorry, Jesus, I can't come to your banquet because my life is so full over here. I'm just not very hungry. How many of you have ever been around kids who ate way too much candy before dinner? So I would like to say that's my kid's problem, but if I'm honest, that's really my problem uh, that I have. Like, I'm the type of guy who will eat peanut M&Ms and call that dinner because peanuts have protein in them, right? And, and this is kind of what Jesus is getting at here. We fill ourselves so full with stuff that tastes good and is junk food, but ultimately leaves us left unsatisfied. That ultimately harms us. It tastes good in the moment, but it's just like candy before a feast. I came across this idea here this past week as I was studying for this sermon, and it just really stuck with me. It says this, that Jesus is both terribly dangerous and terribly safe. For those who are full of themselves, he is the biggest threat imaginable. Yet for those who are empty, he is the securest refuge. You see, guys, this first group of people who's invited to this banquet and this parable are so full of themselves. Woo! Kids are having fun out there. Uh, so full of themselves that they don't want anything to do with his banquet. They're so filled, and they represent every single person who's so filled with our own privilege and our own self-righteous achievement and our own self-madeness that there's not an ounce of emptiness left for God to move in and fill in ways he only he can. No good things can fill this type of person. Nothing good fills this type of person. But then there's another group that Jesus invites to his banquet. There's another type of person that Jesus invites to come to his feast. And we see this mentioned as we read on in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. So the servant is coming and saying, hey, we invited all of these people. None of them want to come to this party. And so then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, I love these next verses here. Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in the poor, and crippled, and blind, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room at this table. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited, none of those self-made, prim, proper, self-put-together men will have a seat or shall taste my banquet." 
For Jesus to list these groups of people, the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, as the people that he invites to his table, to his banquet, this was the very list of people that the other guys, the religious guys around the table, would have excluded from worship in the temple. In fact, there were even certain Jewish groups, certain religious groups, that believed specifically that the poor and the blind and the lame and the crippled will be excluded from this great feast that was prophesied of the Messiah in books like Isaiah and Ezekiel, this feast for all nations, they believed that these groups of people would be excluded and left out. And yet in Jesus' family, it's precisely the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the foreigner, the Gentile, who are all invited to his table. In fact, his table is so filled with those whose society had deemed filthy that there wasn't even a seat left at the banquet for the prim and the proper and the self-made and the well-connected and the put-together. See, this second group of people shares one thing in common, one characteristic in common, one thing that every single one of us can learn from. They are utterly empty, and they know it. They don't have the ability to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They don't have options for upward mobility. It's like in Luke 1, when Jesus' mom, Mary, receives the news that she will give birth to Jesus, the person, the Savior, who will redeem his people from their sins. And her very response is, God, you have filled the hungry with good things, and the rich you have sent away empty. It's like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he gives this list of people who he calls blessed in his kingdom. And he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Not those who are rich in spirit, Not those who have figured it out all on their own. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and need comfort. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Blessed are those who are empty and come to me and need to be filled. Those are the people that Jesus calls blessed. Those are the people that Jesus invites to his kingdom table to feast alongside him. Why are they blessed? Because he came to fill the empty with good things. God forgive us when we become so self-sufficient, so self-deserving, so put together, that we forget that it is only by sheer grace that we are invited to this table to feast alongside the Messiah. And so for us here today, Are you willing to empty yourself and surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus? Are you willing and ready and available to to empty yourself and surrender every area of your life to the Lordship of Jesus? Because, friends, this is the only way that people enter his kingdom. And so I believe this parable, this story, gives us four areas where we are called to empty ourselves. And what I want to do is spend the rest of our time together looking at each of these four areas. And I want to challenge you. I want you to identify which area specifically God is calling you to focus on emptying yourself in this next season. Where is God calling you to surrender yourself and invite him to fill you in this next season? Four areas that I believe Jesus speaks to. The first one is I need to empty myself of my need for efficiency. 
I need to empty myself of my own timeline. Notice, in this culture, there's two invitations that are given to this banquet. The first is the invitation that a banquet is coming, a banquet is on the way. This was typically done in an effort to get an idea of how much supplies was needed and how many people were coming, kind of an RSVP initial type of invitation. But then there was a second invitation given, and this was given later on when the banquet was ready. And this invitation was, hey, the food's ready, the feast is prepared, come in now, the doors are open, come and feast. And what we see is that there is time between these two invitations. That there is a season of preparation that it's not ready right away. That the banquet has been announced through the person of Jesus, but he has not yet returned to claim his own. We are living right now in the space between the two invitations where we are waiting on Jesus to return and announce, friends, the feast is ready. In fact, you read in the book of Revelation, this imagery of the messianic feast comes up over and over again. It's the wedding supper of the lamb where the church, the bride, and Jesus, the lamb of God, are married for all eternity. This beautiful imagery, but right now we are living in the time of preparation. We're living in the space and time where the feast has been announced, but it is not fully ready. And so in the meantime, we empty ourselves of our own timeline and our own need for efficiency. Sometimes I'm like a little child when it comes to waiting on God. Anybody else? Like, God, why can't you move as fast as I want you to move? God, why are you so slow? God, why is this situation in my life taking so long to see any kind of resolution to? God, why why are you so slow? I, I find, and maybe you're different, but for me, I find that 90% of the anxiety caused in my life is because God's timeline doesn't match my timeline, right? That, that place creates such a sense of restlessness in our lives. And yet Jesus is clear, this is a banquet that takes time to prepare and it is worth waiting on God for. It's worth it. Scripture says that a thousand years are like a day to God. For some of you, you're walking through a season right now of a failed relationship. And your desire, like the the way that you want to fill the emptiness in your own life is just to jump as quickly as possible to the next relationship because you want something filled in your life that only God can fill. What if you made a choice to submit yourself to a season of singleness? And you allowed God to fill in you what well, only he can. Some of you are here and there's this deep pain and this deep angst in your life and you've used substances to fill it. What if you submitted yourself to a community of people who want to walk with you? Even if that takes longer than just running to the bottle or running to the pill or running to the whatever. What if you submitted yourself to God's timeline? See, here's the thing. Those who are willing to submit themselves to God's timeline, you know what he fills us with? Rest in a restless world. Those who learn to wait on God, to slow down and say, God, you don't view time like I do. You're at work behind the scenes even when I can't see it. Those are the type of people that experience and are filled with a rest that only God can give in the midst of a restless and fragile world. So that's the first one, my need for efficiency. 
The second one is some of us need to empty ourselves of our need to earn our way in. I need to empty myself of my need to earn my way in. I need to empty myself of my own performance. Notice here, the feast is not a potluck like we're about to have in a couple hours from now. God willing, if it stops raining. That's not the type of feast that Jesus is preparing. And it's not a buffet where you have to pay your way in to be able to get into this feast. The cost of your invitation in has already been paid for by the host. It's already been paid for by the host. You don't earn your way into this banquet like the people sitting around the table would have likely thought about what it means to be part of God's family. Do you live as if God owes you something because you've been a good boy or a good Christian girl? Do you not understand that it is by the sheer grace and charity of Jesus that you have been invited to this banquet? And God didn't need to give you more grace than he needed to give the person sitting next to you. Do you, do you understand this? There are people in our church who have blown their lives up over and over and over again. And there are also people in our church who, according to the way man looks at people, would say they are blameless and they are spotless. And it doesn't matter which one you are. It is by sheer grace and mercy of God that you have been invited to this table. Nobody... This is so important for us to understand, especially as we live in community with each other. Nobody is more worthy to sit at this table because of their own merit than the person next to them. Nobody. Like, if we could understand that and if we could live that way, man, would it change the type of community that we are for one another. Right? It would remove this, this, this fear of what do other people think or this, this performance mentality that so many li live with. It would free us from the need to compare ourselves to other people. Like, I can use the gifts that God has given me while also celebrating that God has given you gifts too that are different than mine. See, freedom, what God fills us with when we're willing to empty ourselves of our need to earn our way in is he frees us from the need to perform and compare ourselves to others. That is a massive gift that God offers us, church. It is the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame that are invited to this table, not people who have earned their way in. It's people who are hungry, people who are empty, Next one here, and this goes along with the second one, but the third one is, I need to empty myself of my obsession for the approval of others. I need to empty myself of my obsession for the approval of others. The people invited to this banquet have already been rejected by the world. They've already been rejected by the world, but they have been accepted by the host. Some of us are respectable. We take great pride in our position in life, whether it's our financial status, our position at work. And it's easy to look down on those who haven't achieved what we have. We have people in our church who are wrestling every single day with addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction. We have people in our church wrestling with their sexuality and trying to figure out what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in the midst of that tension. And if that's you, my Bible tells me that you are precisely the type of person that God wants to sit at the table and have a meal with. Because it is by his grace that we have been saved. It is by his grace that we have been welcomed in. Do you know what God fills those who are empty with in this area? 
He fills us with his approval. That when we repent of our sins, when we humble ourselves and we come to his table and say, God, I can't heal myself on my own. God, I don't have options. God, I don't have upward mobility. God, in your kingdom, this is not a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps type of thing. God, I come with my surrender and my desperation for you. You know what that frees us to do? Frees us to take off our masks. It frees us to humbly confess our sins to one another. Say, this is what I struggle with. It might be different than what you struggle with, but we both have struggles. We both have sin areas in our life. We stop judging each other so much for what, that they might be different from each other and just acknowledge that, that it is only by sheer grace and repentance of our sins that we are invited to this table. God welcomes those who have been rejected by the world. And then the last one here, I need to empty myself of my agenda, my own priorities. Those who feel no emptiness need no God who fills that. See, in the story here, there's all these people who make other excuses, who have different priorities, who go and run off and do all of the other things that are more important. And yet what Jesus wants to do is he wants to fill his table with those who are so willing to make his kingdom banquet the top priority in their lives, to make him the center of their lives, that he will go to the streets, he will go to the highways and the hedges to find the people who are willing to make his banquet, his kingdom priority in their lives first and nothing close to second. Am I willing to follow Jesus so long as it doesn't get too uncomfortable or rearrange too many things in my life? Am I willing to say no to good things so that I can say yes to God things? See, sacrifice and surrender areas where I've elevated other things above him or next to him or before him. Do you know what God fills those who are willing to empty themselves of their own agenda with? An endurance to overcome a strength that only comes by the filling of his spirit. The Bible says that God is seeking, he is, he is seeking in this world those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. He fills those who are willing to make him top priority with his spirit. And it's a spirit that is marked by humility and love peace and patience and joy and kindness and all of these things. See, God is searching for those who are willing to make him top priority in their lives. The question for us is, do we trust that he does this? Do we trust him enough to lay down our own lives and say, God, fill me with what only you can, or are we going to continue building our lives in ways that seek to fill ourselves on our own? I want to invite the band up here as, as we close this morning. And as I was thinking about kind of where to land this and, and what this looks like for our church, I want to close with this question here. Do you have a table where you can come empty and where God can fill you with good things? Do you have a group of people? Do you have a community? Because this is not a table where you sit at isolation, just you and Jesus. No, this is a table with people around it. Do you have a table in your life where you can come and where God can fill you with good things? Can I tell you, Sunday morning is not a table, okay? Sunday morning's an invitation, but it's not the table. If this, is, if this is the beginning and ending of your experience with community here at New Life, can I tell you, you are missing out on more that God has for you. Because this is not the place 
where we necessarily work the, the crap out that's going on in our lives, where we can have honest conversations. Yeah, we can skim the surface of those things. But there's other places where we come and we say, God, I am utterly empty and I need you to fill me. I think about the small group that I was a part of for years and years before I was ever a pastor. And in this small group, uh, there was a couple that had been married for 50 years. My wife and I were married for one at that time. We had a few things to learn from them. We had some emptiness in our lives, and they taught us, name are John and Chris, they taught us so much about what it means to follow Jesus. We needed them in our lives. Another couple in our small group, their teenage daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. And them, we saw their faith when God wasn't moving according to their timeline. And we saw them strengthened in his spirit despite hell going on in their lives around them. I think of other couples in our group. Some walk through years and years of infertility. Others, relational struggles in their marriage. Church, it is a beautiful thing when the community of God, when the, the family of Jesus is a table where we can come and be filled because we acknowledge on our own we are empty. This fall, we are working very hard this summer. If you want to know what I do when I'm not preaching for three weeks, it's some of this stuff behind the scenes. That we're working on developing small groups that are going to support you in your marriage. Please get in a group like that if that's something you could benefit from. We have other groups who are going to walk with you in grief. If that's the area of emptiness in your life. We have other groups, like I've already said, that are going to walk you on the path of long-term sobriety and recovery. Other groups for young adults. We have new groups starting for young adults in our community this fall. We're going to have opportunities for us to gather monthly to share meals with each other and to develop a deeper level of community where it is okay to come empty because we believe there is a Savior who desires to fill us with good things. But it is our job to have the humility to accept that invitation to come. Amen. Let's pray together and then we're going to respond and worship. Father, this is uh, this is a word that's near and dear to my heart right now. Because God, I have emptiness in my own life. And I know I have brothers and sisters in this community who are navigating emptiness in theirs as well. And Father, I pray that we can consistently be a place where empty people come and are filled by your presence and your power and your spirit. Father, I pray that we are a community that humbles ourselves and recognizes that it is only by grace that we have been invited to your table. Not by merit, not by performance, not by position, only grace. And Father, I pray that we won't just celebrate how empty we are, but that instead we will celebrate that you are the only God, the only thing in this world who has the ability to actually fill what is empty in our lives. And so God, I pray this coming school year, this coming fall, this even the, the remainder of what's left of summer, that we will begin to experience the God who fills 
our empty places. Fills our empty places with your power and your spirit and your nearness. God, we love you. And we thank you that because of the life and the work and the ministry of Jesus, we can know and hold firmly to the fact that you are closer than we could ever imagine. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.